the future of photography. Exploring the ways new technology can help you make fantastic photos. Let's begin this recording. How do we start? How do we start? We suppose we should say start by saying hello. So hi, this is Aid. How are you doing? Chris? We're still learning the ropes. I'm Chris. Uh, this is Aid. We are in Kathmandu. We are in Kathmandu, in a beautiful place owned by your friend Krishna. And thank you very much, Krishna, for donating the space for us to record in today. Yes, the backyard of the Revolution Cafe, and uh, we've been here a few times. Beautiful place. Not as loud as outside. You will still hear stuff in the background. Um, there's um, yeah, it's a busy, a busy city. Kathmandu is a busy city. Oh, uh, I, I've never been anywhere quite like it. Um, it's uh, yes. It, the traffic is is just awesome to behold and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> so this is this is our decompression day after our Bhutan tour, which we talked about in the in the in episode zero. And uh, we decided while we're here, we record a few episodes. We start with content, with actual content for the future of photography. We have a name, which was kind of obvious. It's an obvious name to go to. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, but it's good that we found it. And uh, so yes, yeah, some content would be good. Um, you know, let's talk about it. And I think we decided that for the first episode, first proper episode, uh, we'd have a, a discussion about what, what we think of uh, as compu computational photography. What is included, and and how does it work, and and things like that. Let's try definition of some sort, even though we, yeah, we have a bunch of notes here. Let's see what we make out of that. Um, computational photography, isn't that, isn't, isn't computation happening every time you press that button on your digital camera? Well, yeah, sure it is. There's a lot of electronics in there, isn't there? And I guess everybody with a modern digital camera is no stranger to things like firmware updates these days. Uh, so you know, every time you press the button, something happens electronically. There's a bunch of computational power in there, and it helps to create your image, your RAW file, especially JPEG. Uh, if, you're, if you're shooting in JPEGs, the camera has to crunch all of that data it, it captures uh, and produce an image for you. So, yeah, every so time. So, I mean, I mean, if we look at what we now, if you Google computational photography, you will probably find different things because that is kind of a given at this point. The camera, yeah, will crunch the image, it will do colors and stuff. Oh, food is ready. <laughs> Not ours, though. Um, it, it will crunch the image, it will compress it, it will change the colors, it will adapt the, the contrast, and it will do all sorts of things. We call, we call it the picture style in most cameras. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, then, even if you shoot raw, it does that. So it does computation on the picture uh, to make it look nicer. Apparently look nicer. But it's it's usually the camera's decision on what to do with it. Well, it's subject to taste, isn't it, really? So, yeah, I mean, I remember my first ever digital camera way back I don't know, 15 years ago, early 2000s. Um, it only shot JPEG. So even back then, there was computational photography. But I think, for me, that one of some of the interesting stuff that's happening right now when you press the shutter button is that camera design is no longer just a feature of really really good optics and a sensor you know it's a blend of the software and the hardware and the glass you know which you do some crazy stuff uh, the sony rx what was it uh, rx 100 rx one maybe I one okay don't 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 hold me to it but there is there is this this sony camera that is a camera made of well it, it's it has a fixed lens it has a lens that is part of the camera you can't remove it you can't swap it and um oh that was someone well, it doesn't matter we have lots of interesting sounds here um so the story is this a friend of mine sent me an image that had skyscrapers on it 
tall buildings in Berlin and they were all curved. They were not straight. So they, they were like like almost like a fisheye photo. And the the, the the that looked wrong. And he asked me what why did that happen? And I looked at the picture and said, Well, what does it look on the back of your camera? And he said, Well, they're straight. I was like, what? Okay, straight lines on the JPEG in the camera, because what you see on the back if the camera is a JPEG, and then uh, curved lines in Lightroom. And I wasn't really sure what was happening. There must have been some sort of computation going on, uh, geometric computation, straightening the lines. And uh, then the day after that, he sent me an email and said, they are straight now. <laughs> yeah. So what's happening there? I mean, you know, I think uh, I think we understand from investigation that mm -hmm. actually it's a blend of the, the lens and the post-processing in camera, so the computational photography. And, you know, there are some compromises being made with the lens, no doubt to improve usability. Uh, to and, and size of the lens. And the size of the lens. Um, that actually the lens designers are designing the glass in conjunction with the firmware designers so that overall you get an image with buildings with straight lines. Yeah. But, the, the, but maybe the raw file at that point uh, was just capturing what the lens saw, which actually genuinely was curved. Yeah. So, you know. Which was the case. And I, I received that, that update from him and I asked him what have you done so that the lines in Lightroom are now now straight and he said I updated Lightroom so there was a bit of a, a, a thinking and then I came to the conclusion that um, Lightroom must be working with the camera manufacturers to or the camera manufacturers must be working with the software manufacturers uh, to include these corrections in their software and I looked around in Lightroom and I got the original raw file and there was no obvious sliders changed. I mean, you, you could think of the, the geometry sliders. You have some geometric uh, curvy kind of updates and things and changes that you can do in Lightroom. None of those was moved. So what happens is that these things just take place under the hood without you even knowing. Yeah, which is uh, which is interesting because I've played with some of my cameras uh, or with the the Lightroom options for lens corrections, so to straighten some of those lines and those and are the lens profiles. The, uh, yes, lens profiles, um, and because I I also shoot film, some of my lenses are quite old and don't have a profile, so I pick one that sort of looks half right, and then I do a little bit of tweaking myself. But this, yes, yeah, so, but not all of that is the case, is it? So some of it seems to be happening under the hood in Lightroom um, rather than being uh, a user function uh, which is good because it gives you a better place to start from but it's all it's all algorithms and computer yeah, computational photography and it seems to make it easier for the manufacturers to create cameras and uh, to, to make them cheaper because you do not have to invest as much in corrected lenses um, to make them lighter to yeah now of course I come from a time when you would use a very expensive lens and a very uh, very well corrected glass and it would uh, shoot on film and it would pretty much get you the result that you needed straight in camera so um, I feel make, I have mixed feelings about this so do you. <laughs> I do. I have mixed feelings about it as well. It's, um, but look at it this way, right? Uh, we've all seen in recent years uh, tiny, 
tiny cameras, you know, travel cameras, that are maybe no larger than a packet of cigarettes or a packet of cards. And yet the zoom lenses that extrude from them can be you know, 10 centimetres, 12 centimetres long. And you think, how did they get that lens in that tiny box? Also, they have very interesting mechanical engineering in there. I've heard of cameras that will actually swap parts of the lens sideways when it's in the camera. So it kind of moves out of the way into a little parking spot and then comes back out and that's uh, weird. It, it, it is, but think about that from a, a, a usability point of view. So, you know, as, as somebody you know, who, who is traveling, you know, somebody who wants to take nice photographs, uh, do you always want to be carrying around many kilos of camera gear? I mean, you and I might make that decision because that's who we are, and, you know, but, but not everybody does. So well, the, if the you thing is, in maybe five to ten years, um, I, I could imagine very small cameras using extensive amount of computational photography surpassing any DSLR that's on the market now. And, and those cameras that we see today are maybe the forerunners of those because, you know, it is... Uh, it's challenging to make uh, good rectilinear lenses at the best of times, but to do it in a pocket format that zooms is, is nigh on impossible. And so if you can correct some of the compromises you have to make uh, in software to make an overall better consumer experience, that's got to be a good thing, right? I think so. I mean, that's the, that's the reason why we make this show, because we want to explore these things and see where they take us and um, maybe also get a bit over our own inhibitions about this. Yeah, yeah. yes, I certainly <laughs> it's have. It's therapy. Let's, let's just face it. This is a therapy session. Uh, well, aren't all podcasts a therapy session? <laughs> yes. I know mine are. <laughs> so, but it... it Yes, I think it, it is. Ex it's an exciting time, and it challenge. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast because I think it's going to help me challenge myself. Because I, I absolutely bring some bias to this, and uh, you know, I think it's. It, it's time time to embrace maybe time to embrace because you know uh, computers get more powerful all the time I mean may, many of our listeners may have heard of Moore's law you know that the computational power doubles uh, every 18 months and that's been going on for 50 plus years and so what we have you know we all what we carry around in our pockets right now in terms of what, what used to be known as telephones <laughs> Te telephone yeah um, <laughs> some older older ones of you might know that term yeah so what we carry around in, in our pockets um, is is hugely powerful and actually the processors in modern smartphones are way more capable uh, than what you find in the average three thousand dollar camera so <clears throat> and i think that's partially where it's going if you look at the the, the photography on smartphones these days um, just just one example, and uh, Apple in, in their last keynote, and I'm sorry for bringing up Apple again, but this includes uh, Android and all other platforms as well. Um, they actually they actually fessed up to the, the fact that they split the, split the picture into tiny little portions and look at all those differently, computationally. So uh, a smartphone today, you take a shot, it will know this is the sky, this is the grass, this is a face, and it will treat those things differently to make sure the sky looks like the sky and the grass looks like the grass and the face looks like a face and the colors are right and the contrasts are right. Some of the results, at least during daytime, some of the results I'm getting from an iPhone is are, are, um, are amazing. There was just recently an article about, uh, was it a Panasonic GH9 or something, compared to uh, the iPhone 8 Plus and they shot the same thing on video and the thing that came during daytime again i'm not talking small sensors low iso high iso stuff but um the the the, the iphone won that thing or was at least on par with a camera that is specifically made for video 
it's astonishing isn't it it is astonishing and so let's let's get over ourselves a little bit and say so more power is a good thing right more okay, computer more, more, more is better more is more is better more power in my pocket to take great photos and process those images and you know it's no accident that we get such good images from our phones i i had an early so early early-ish um android phone to get away from apple just for a bit i, ha- I had an htc phone about three four years ago uh which had uh, a depth sensor on it it wasn't a second camera it wasn't a second lens that you know like some phones have now but it had a sense it had was, a, was it one of these like in the old polaroids and ultrasonic beep kind of depth sensor no no it was optical okay. it, so there was a camera sensor of some sort but you couldn't take photographs with it but what oh, it, i remember that it took it took this kind of invisible picture that was then combined with it okay yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, and that was one of the early de- things. Now, what it could do is, it could, it could, um, uh, you could defocus the background. And because it, would, it knew what was foreground, what was background. Yes, yes. Um, and I have to say, it was an early attempt, and you know there was a lot of smudging was around it more the outside. Attempt? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Um, and you said you wouldn't want to publish these things, but at the time, you know, it was. It, but it's, um, you know, when somebody's really bad at making selections in Photoshop, you know, like I, like I am. <laughs> Um, and you end up Halos with those and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, that sort of thing, and things just being a little bit wrong around the edges. It was a bit like that, but it was a start, and it worked, and it was able to judge the depth. So, you know, this isn't just about Apple. You know, every, everybody's at it. There are lots and lots of innovations from hardware manufacturers with phones these days, and this isn't a show about phones. And the same way as it isn't a show just about digital cameras, it's about making images using computational power. You know, and and the future of photography. So, you know, I don't want to get too hung up on the device at this stage, although, you know, future shows will have to, you know, we will consider in more depth some hardware things, some software things, you know, so, so on and so forth. Now, let, but, let's, let's move away from the, from, the, from the phones for a second. Okay. Because um, uh, lots of photographers, me included, will still use a laptop or a desktop and they have a computer and they, they download the pictures from their memory cards and put them in Lightroom or some other software and, and work on them. There's a lot of computation going on there as well. There, there is, yeah, ever, ever more so. And it doesn't matter whether it's Lightroom or Capture One or, or the, the, the Mac Photos you know, program. Um, there's, there's still lots and lots Which of stuff. Which is way more powerful than a lot of people uh, give it credit for. Uh, it, it is, and uh, especially if you compare it against things we all thought were top-of-the-line things about five, six years ago. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff going on in there that can, you know, that really does make your photos, you know, ping or zap or pop you know the, the, if you choose to use it i mean you know, even the ios uh, not the ios sorry the mac photos app there's an a, an auto enhance button you know and that uh, that is which which does similar things that the cameras do i'm not sure it's the same algorithms i don't know about this but it 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 it, it analyzes the picture and it tries to get the contrast right and good ratio and and the thing to be pleasing um apple's um oh i forgot aperture um, which is now no longer with us, but uh, well, some people still use it. But Aperture, the Lightroom competitor back then, um, for example, had a had a a little eyedropper, mm-hmm. but not for white balance, but for skin tones. Yeah, I, actually, yeah. do you know what? I was an Aperture user. I I recently upgraded one of my computers to uh, what's the new one <coughs> called? High Sierra. High Sierra. High Sierra, and actually, Aperture still works. Mm. You can st- I can still open uh, Aperture, and it still works. Full functionality. I can make adjustments. But all right, it, this yeah. is this is not two old guys talking from talking of the war. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. But uh, computational photography in the software these days, um, simple things. Well, seemingly simple things like HDR. Or 
panoramas where you take multiple photos and have the software do something with them. I remember the panorama thing um, when it wasn't easy. You had uh, the first attempt to kind of automate this was a software called AutoStitch, which would take several photos and try to detect the overlap areas and, and bend and squeeze them so they would fit together, um, which is now standard in, in Photoshop, in Lightroom, in uh, um, does Affinity Photo do panorama stitching? Uh, do you know what? I haven't really I played know, yeah. much enough or not okay. enough with Affinity Photo, but you're right. I mean, I used to have uh, an open source application called Huggin or Hugin. Yeah. Um, where you actually had to manual, or you had the option to manually select the points across oh, those this many is the, images. This is the same point in this picture and in this picture. Point two in this picture and this picture. Remember, you had these pairs of points between pictures. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that actually, at the time, that was really, really useful to have that manual control uh, because sometimes, the automatic algorithms didn't work very well. Mm. But can you remember the last time you had to use a manual well, it, stitch? It improved so much that I had some some panoramic overlapping individual shots uh, from 10 years ago, and they didn't they wouldn't stitch back then. And I was smart enough to not delete them. And I just recently dug out one of them and threw them in Lightroom and and told it make a panorama out of this. And bam, there there was. So the algorithms have improved. The whole thing um, is, is moving forward, which is why, again, I believe that we are going to see quite some astonishing things from the, our devices in our pockets or maybe in future on our faces. On our faces? Well, glasses, <laughs> I, I, augmented reality. Well, this is well, a whole episode on its own. Uh, yeah, it, as, it, as it must. Uh, oh, it's HDR panorama and the third uh, category of stitched pictures is focus stacking. Oh yes, focus stacking. Yeah, and especially macro photography. Yeah, macro photography, intelligent focus stacking, recognizing where things are sharp and doing it automatically. I mean, yeah, you know, this is everywhere, isn't it? And uh, you know, for me, uh, I'm looking for yeah, looking forward to, to this podcast giving me the discipline and the inspiration to uh, push myself a little bit and uh, investigate these with a little bit more vigor. But I'll tell you what, I want to do though. Um, I, I want to focus on the images that we can make. So for me, this is a, this whole area as a topic is isn't simply about technology. It's about the images that are the outcome of applying that technology. So you know, there's some challenges there. Um, uh, I need to push myself. It's easy to make a panorama. I've made loads in the last two weeks because there's lots of things to panoramify, if that's a word, in Bhutan. But making a good one, huh? Uh, well, I, I can't promise that. <laughs> but, but that's yeah, a challenge. That that's is a challenge. The, good that, photography that that moves the viewer, that that um, touches something in them. That's where photography should be, and the technology is just it's just a means to an end. Uh, yeah, it is, and so uh, yeah, it's let, let's do it. Let's uh, let's make that happen. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to coming up with uh, some new and interesting images that are a bit beyond uh, what I've done maybe in the past. Um, it's not just about sticking a film in a camera and, and pointing it at somebody. Uh, although you know, uh, as we've seen uh, in all through 2017, actually, film photography has a place in the future of photography as well. And there are ever more films being released. And, and even as we record this, a Kickstarter for a new 35mm SLR. So, you know, film isn't dead. Uh, in fact, it's, it's very much alive. But having said that, um, you know, how difficult to see perhaps how it might keep up with the computational side. Maybe it's just a different stream. It is. It is, for sure, something very different. Um, when I shoot film, it's the process is important in film. 
Whereas here, we're looking more at the results and how to get there, what means to use to the, for the results. So I think it's just, a, it's in the end, probably two different sides of the same medal. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't. I don't think I count uh, the the production element of, of a photograph uh, as outside the scope of what we're talking about here, no. uh, because you know. The, oh, we, well, let's let's face it. We're both geeks. Oh yeah, and uh, and there's no substitute for good light, is there? So yeah. You know, so uh, do you know what? Um, some of the things that I'm th- going through my head. Um, I have these two little uh, little LED lights that I bought last year. I think called Loom Cubes, and uh, no and they can be Bluetooth controlled. For my phone and so what you can do you can now do off-camera flash with a phone yeah you know, and and off-camera flash is what has the world come to <laughs> i know but this is one of my favorite areas of, uh, of photography is the lighting you know i like to be in control of the light well and i have to bring this around to apple again lighting and virtual lighting you have the portrait mode in in the plus phones which uses both lenses and has depth sensing through those and which also will then uh, be able to apply some lighting effects that are not real to photos so you have uh, studio lighting which changes the backdrop because it knows the depth and takes that away there's a lot of computation going on there so uh, even lighting might in the future be a thing that you do virtually that is hugely uh, hugely ripe with possibilities because as we all know it's difficult to find ideal lighting you know conditions so i mean you know it's it, there's always something wrong either it's too bright and too contrasty or there's not enough brightness to, to get the contrast that you want if you can even if you could just tweak that in a realistic fashion after the fact in an e- in a relatively straightforward way that would be immensely powerful I haven't had the opportunity yet to play with the new phones that do these things. Um, that'll be at some point in my not-too-distant future, I expect. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it and just seeing how far we can push these things. All right. Oh, I think that's the single to wrap up this show. Still not our food, but uh, someone is getting their order. Um, let's bring this to an end. Do you have something something smart to say? <laughs> something smart. <laughs> what, have I not given enough smartness already? Oh, yes, you have. Yes, you certainly have. <laughs> No, we're still we're still looking for a sign off uh, of some sort. Um, you, you you had something earlier. Something. Didn't earlier. You? Well, I tell you what. Listen, we are looking forward to exploring the future of photography. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back in touch soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the future of photography. A production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Music